1: braves have given you a
2: championship listen to this
0: braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond here's grant mccauley hello
3: again and welcome to another episode of from the diamond i'm grant mccauley Another week has passed and the Braves continue to pull those days off the calendar. We've got just two more weeks worth of games to go as the Braves are winding towards October, looking to finish off the National League East, get that thing wrapped up, and then perhaps chase down the Dodgers for best record overall in the National League. So a lot of intrigue there as we head towards the postseason, but a lot of things have to happen between now and then. And of course, a lot of things have happened over the last week for the Atlanta Braves. We're going to talk about all of that on this episode of From the Diamond. We're also going to take a look at some of the other happenings across baseball, including all the home runs that are being hit, the MVP race, and just what Ronald Acuna's 40-40 season means from a historical sense. And to help me do that, MLB Network's Jason Stark, of course, you can follow his writing on The Athletic, longtime baseball scribe, one of my absolute favorites. He's going to stop by the show and educate all of us, myself included, on some of the statistical happenings across baseball in 2019. That'll come your way a little bit later in this episode. As always, want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast. You can find From the Diamond on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. And be sure you're following along with the show and with me on social media. Twitter is usually the place to find me. I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And you can find the show at From the Diamond underscore on Twitter as well. On Instagram, the show is at From the Diamond, no underscore needed. And I am at Grant Macaulay there as well. If you want to follow along with some of the baseball photos and pictures and just different things I see from my time around the Braves, invite you to do that on Instagram. Follow me, follow the show, follow whoever you want, but I uh, just want to throw the invitation out there. You can find every episode of the show as well as all the articles and extra stuff I'm doing at fromthediamond.com. So go ahead, bookmark that. Likes and shares are always appreciated, and I definitely appreciate all of you subscribing, following along, and having all the fun baseball interaction that we get to each and every day through the wonders of social media. With all that shameless plugging out of the way, let's get into the week that was for the Atlanta Braves. Of course, it hasn't been too long since our last episode of From the Diamond as the Braves had wrapped up their homestand, and now they've headed out on the road and completed the first leg of a two-city stop, and that's splitting a four-game series with the Philadelphia Phillies the Braves have reached 90 wins. They'll need to go 9-5 and five over their final 14 games to reach 100 victories for the first time since back in 2003. And that's no small feat for this Braves team who, as we've noticed, and if you're on Twitter for any amount of time and have really dove into the preseason prognosticating that went on specifically for MLB Network Radio, there was not an expert on their panel that chose the Braves as a postseason team, let alone winning the National League East. Now, I get the arguments for the other teams, the Nationals, the Mets, the Phillies, they all spend a lot of money. But as we've seen in the past, the wildcard race can get pretty interesting. So just imagining the Braves not even being in that, I think was a hard pill to swallow for fans of the team as you looked at this list and thought, where are the Braves? Well, the answer to this at the end of the year is going to be the Braves running across the top of the National League East on the final standings. And I don't know about you, but I'd much rather be the team that's listed on the final standings more so than the one that was listed on the preseason predictions though I think if the Braves win this thing again they're going to get a lot more credit coming this winter and into next spring as people start choosing who could be the playoff teams in the National League who's got a shot to go deep into October I think the Braves are most definitely one of those teams as they have the fourth best record in all of baseball with the great work they've done so far in 2019 and they've still got more miles to travel. Atlanta heads into the weekend with a magic number of eight to clinch the National League East. The Braves have that three-game series against Washington. If they were to sweep that, the Braves would trim the magic number down to two, which means that the Braves will have a chance in the final homestand of the season with six games, three against the Phillies, and three against the Giants to clinch the division in their home ballpark for the second consecutive year. And I think Braves fans will be pretty excited to see that happen at SunTrust Park as opposed to out on the road or worse yet if it had happened on the off day and there was no celebration whatsoever as far as what went right for the braves and a split up in philadelphia this week let's start with a couple of starting pitchers dallas keichel on a roll over his last six starts mostly dealing with tyler flowers behind the plate and i'll have more on that in just a moment keichel in his last six starts after getting blown up down in miami against the marlins one of the worst starts of his career in the six starts that have followed he is five and zero. With a 097 ERA, 37 innings, just four earned runs, 12 walks, 35 strikeouts for Keichel, who's also allowed just one home run over that span. The interesting thing for a lot of folks was when Dallas Keichel signed, hey, he's familiar with Brian McCann. The two were teammates in Houston. And that is true, and Brian McCann has caught Dallas Keichel a good amount this year. But surprisingly, Tyler Flowers has been the man behind the plate for all but three innings. Of the last six starts, and Keuchel was quick to give credit for that partnership that's worked out so well over the past month or so with Tyler Flowers.
2: Been very fortunate to work with him, and, and we all know how valuable I think Mac is to any team. So to have those two guys behind the plate is rare. You can switch them up, you can intertwine them, and guys don't miss a beat. So to have flow back there for this little run I'm, I've been on, I mean, a lot of it's a lot of it's making making me better, and, and uh, you know, I owe him a lot.
3: Watching Keuchel every fifth day is something Brian Snitker has very much enjoyed, and the Braves manager discussed exactly what makes this veteran left-hander so effective.
0: Well, it's been great. You know, it's what he does. I mean, the guy competes. He leaves it out there every time he pitches. I mean, he gives everything he has out there, and, and um, he had to work tonight. I mean, it, it wasn't easy, and um, but he just keeps pitching. He got an idea what he's doing. He knows the lineup. He kind of manages a game within the game himself, and that's why he's been so successful.
3: While the Braves signed Keichel to that 13 plus million dollar contract for half a season for what he could give you on the mound, everyone also realized upon signing him that this could have a very positive effect on some of the Braves' young arms who were trying to establish themselves at the big league level. Mike Soroka, Max Freed, and others could all benefit just from being around a guy like Dallas Keuchel, who has a Cy Young Award and a World Series ring in his trophy case.
0: It's been valuable ever since he's got here. Because every time I look down the bench, it's him and Soroka or him and Max Freed. And when talking to him when we got him, I mean, it was, he was, you know, kind of, I think, looking at what we had and the young pitchers and knew he was going to be good for him. And he is. I mean, the preparation, the work ethic, everything that he does, uh, the, com- the competitiveness, is all really good things for those young guys to witness and be a part of.
3: Meanwhile, the Braves picked up another victory in the series behind Mike Foltinevich, who has been terrific since coming back from Triple A. Gwinnett Atlanta has won all seven of his starts since he returned from Triple A. Folti is now four zero in those seven outings. His ERA is down to two point nine five since his return, as well as he handcuffed the Phillies this week. Foltinevich has struck out thirty eight men across thirty nine and two thirds innings. 14 walks for him. He has allowed a couple of home runs here and there, but he's been able to keep those in check for the most part, and limiting base runners has limited the damage against him as well. faulty discussed what was working so well for him in his start against Philadelphia as he continued his role since returning from Gwinnett.
4: felt really good, you know, especially when the team gets four runs in the first two innings. It kind of takes that pressure off a little bit, but at the same time, you know, you got to still pitch. Great lineup. you got to face out there. You can you know, give it up real quick, um, you know. But other than that, I think we just mixed the pitch as well tonight. In, out, um, up down and, and we used all the off speed early um, kind of like what we talked about um, last time and, and we, we had some success with it getting early you know one pitch out so I able to get deep in the game instead of you know getting 3-2 and you know trying to play that strikeout game and um, yeah we just kind of threw change ups, through curveball we threw everything and we got some early ground balls and that was a success tonight was, was just getting those early pitches out me and Mac had a good game plan um, to keep the guys on their toes and we did that.
3: When you talk about the arsenal for Mike Foltenevich, it's always the fastball that gets first billing, but his slider was a pitch that was so good for him in 2018, it helped make him an all-star. The slider is a pitch that he went down to Gwinnett to find again, and one that's been a lot better since he returned. He's been much more convicted in throwing that pitch, and I think the results have spoken for themselves when you start looking at the numbers and also the kind of swings that Folty is getting now as opposed to before his demotion. Meanwhile, he's been able to mix in a curveball, which has given hitters something else to think about as they face Fulton Evich.
4: I think maybe the last three, four outings, um, we've had great success with it. Like I said, you know, when you're out there just throwing fastball, slider, you know, it's 50-50 chance for for them guys to guess, and um, just using the curveball and uh, the changeup off it has been been awesome. But just being able to control the the curveball, you know, getting first pitch strikes with it, and um, being able to put it in the dirt when I can, it, it's been great. So that's been a really important pitch for me the last three, four outings.
3: The Braves' rotation has really seemed to solidify over the past couple of months when there were some questions about how exactly is this thing going to look. Dallas Keuchel didn't sign until midseason. Mike fulton found himself in AAA. Max Fried saw some ups and downs. Julio Tehran did not start off the season the way that he had hoped to. And then you had Mike Soroka, who was coming off an injury-plague season in 2018 and was just trying to establish himself at the big league level. I would say he's done that. I would say Max Fried has done that as well. And when you start factoring in the contributions from the veterans in Keichel and Tehran, the return of Fulton-Evich, all of a sudden the Braves have a starting five that gives them some options to think about how exactly they want to put together their pitching staff come October. As I talked about a couple of weeks ago with Paul Bird of Fox Sports South when we were looking at what the postseason rotation would look like, I still think you're going to see Keichel, Soroka, and Freed in that order. There's a case perhaps for Fulton-Evich or for Tehran depending on the matchup, but it really seems like those three guys are the ones that are going to get the starts for Atlanta. Again, Keichel, Soroka, and Freed. I think Keichel has pitched well enough of late, and with his pedigree, he's got to be your Game 1 guy. Mike Soroka will help you break up the lefties as you have Max Freed in Game 3. That's how it would look to me right now. Could something change? Yeah, it definitely could. Could the matchup say, hey, maybe Mike fulton is the guy to go to? Yeah, it could. And the big thing about that is, and where the Braves start to benefit from this, is that Max Fried or Mike Foltenevich, I think could both be weapons out of the bullpen. The jury's kind of out on Julio Tehran in that department for me, because I don't know if he's necessarily the guy I'd want to carry as my long man, if you will. But I also think he's pitched well enough for long enough stretches this season to warrant consideration for a start. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Alex Anthopoulos and Brian Snitker sit down and plot out the rotation when it comes to that division series. And then once you go beyond that, in a seven-game series where you're not just looking at three starters and trying to piece things together after that the Braves have a lot of talented options and that's a huge benefit for this club and it's a huge reason why the Braves surpassed 90 wins again this year and are on their way to the postseason for the second consecutive year as soon as they can clinch up this NL East and punch their ticket officially there was also some good news on the injury front for the Braves up in Philadelphia as Nick Markakis made the trip with the team and has been able to take batting practice on the field. That was the next big hurdle, as Markekis is on his way back from that fractured left wrist that he suffered on July 26th. Markekis discussed the progress he's made and how hopeful he is to rejoin the Braves as soon as this weekend.
4: You know, when I first broke it, they told me six to eight weeks. And you know six to eight weeks is recovery, and then you got to get your body back and everything. So, you know, it potentially plays out longer than that. So to be a, in the situation I am right now, you know, I tip my hats to the guys that have been uh, busting their butts to try to get me back on this field, and it's looking good so far.
3: As for what the return of a Nick Markakis means to this team, Dallas Keuchel may be his teammate with the Braves, but he's spent years trying to figure out a way to get Nick Markakis out, and he said that's something that will add to the Braves lineup as they look to strengthen things up heading towards October.
2: Cakes is one lefty I, I never like facing, and uh, I usually like facing lefties, so that's going to be a super bonus for us if we can get him back and get him going before the end of the regular season. I mean, there's a lot of talk now about the analytics and, and devaluing names on, on guys and, and what they've done, They're projecting stats. But, uh, I mean, when you see the name Markekis in the lineup, it's usually a pretty good sign for, for us. Uh, I know facing him in the past, if I saw Markekis in the lineup, even as a lefty, it, it didn't sit well with me. So uh, I can only imagine what the other teams are, are dealing with too. Not all
3: the injury news was good on the road trip, though, as infielder Johan Camargo fouled the ball off his shin and suffered a right shin fracture. Braves placed him on the injured list, retroactive to September the 12th. That move made official on Friday as Nick Markakis was activated from the injured list and will rejoin the Braves as they begin the weekend series against Washington. Terrible news for Camargo, though, who struggled throughout the season, went down to AAA Gwinnett, finally seemed like he was getting his swing right, And just not 24 hours after Christian Yelich suffered his fractured kneecap, it was Camargo who suffered a similar fate, and it would seem that his season is very likely over, though we'll see what the exact prognosis is as the Braves provide updates on that, but not the end to the 2019 campaign Camargo was looking for as he was really swinging the bat well after coming back from AAA Gwinnett earlier this month. It was also a big week for Ronald Acuna Jr. who belted a couple of home runs up in Philadelphia and stole a couple of bases on Thursday as he continues his quest to become just the fifth man in baseball history to record a 40-40 season. He now has 39 homers and 36 stolen bases and Acuna has 14 games beginning on Friday night in Washington to hit one home run and steal four bases and join the 40-40 club. Speaking of nice round numbers, Freddie Freeman turned 30 years old on Thursday. Freeman is putting together an MVP season, leading the major leagues in RBI and driving the Braves offense once again as they head towards October. So I took a little bit of time on Thursday to look at what some of the other Braves greats have done prior to turning 30 years old, and I posted some of these on Twitter on Thursday afternoon. Just three players in Braves history, Hank Aaron, Andrew Jones, and Eddie Matthews, collected more hits than Freddie Freeman's 1,446. Prior to turning 30 years old, through age 29, only Hank Aaron, with 321, had more doubles than Freddie Freeman's 317 two baggers in Braves franchise history. It's worth noting, though, that Aaron had nearly 900 additional plate appearances to outdouble Freddie Freeman before turning 30. Freeman and Hall of Famer Chipper Jones each hit 227 home runs through age 29, though Freeman got nearly 250 more games than Chipper had. And also among Braves, only Hall of Famers Chipper Jones and Eddie Matthews had higher on-base percentages than Freddie Freeman's 380 mark prior to turning 30 years old. So those are just a few stats that illustrate exactly where Freddie Freeman is in Braves history and where he can continue to go as his career continues into the next decade. He's putting together his best season to date this year, could be in the middle of something special as the Braves head towards the postseason. And of course, for Freddie Freeman, his number one goal is to win a World Series If he does that and keeps putting up these numbers we might be having one of those ceremonies where nobody is going to wear the number five once Freddie Freeman hangs him up whenever that ends up being. Right behind Freddie Freeman in the Braves batting order is Josh Donaldson and of course he's been on a tear over the past three months. Donaldson now up to 37 home runs only four away from matching his career high from his MVP season of 2015 when he belted 41 long balls and how about this? 21 of donaldson's 37 home runs have come against the phillies the nationals and the mets he has worn out his three national league east division rivals and those three teams i mentioned because they were projected by so many to finish ahead of the braves in the standings way back in the spring while donaldson's big numbers are something a lot of people expected including josh when he was telling folks to check out the back of his baseball card when asked what exactly he was bringing to this team the number one goal just as i said with freddie freeman is winning This is another guy who's hungry, and Donaldson said the Braves realize what kind of opportunity they have over the final couple of weeks to really put themselves in a great position come October if they can chase down the Dodgers for best record in the National League.
2: I think as a team, we would like to get the best record in the National League to set you up for home field advantage. The Dodgers are obviously a really good team. I think any time you can get that home field advantage, and if you go seven games or You know, five games, you're making sure that it's back at your home field. And especially when you have to, you know, travel all the way out there, back and forth, you'd rather be at your field than someone else's.
3: So that's what's going on with the Atlanta Braves. And with that said, let's turn our attention, not just to some more Braves topics, but also to some big things happening across the world of baseball. And to help us do that, I want to welcome in Jason Stark. You can find his work at The Athletic and catch him on MLB Network. He's a host of Baseball Stories over at WatchStadium.com. And I invite you to check out his podcast, The Starkville Podcast, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and The Athletic. Jason, as always, I appreciate you making some time to join me. And I look forward to chatting with you about a lot of fun topics today. And in particular, this has been a wild season for home runs. And in the middle of it, we've had (laughs) Christian Yelich and Cody Bellinger in this battle for the NL MVP, which it kind of took a wrong turn this week as Yelich suffered a fractured right kneecap, fouling a ball off his leg. I wonder if you could, though, tell us exactly how special the numbers that Yelich was putting up truly were.
1: Yeah, that's heartbreaking. I'm so bummed by this. I love watching Chris Yelich. It's a loss for the Brewers. It's a loss for the sport. And um, he was having a better year this year than he had last year when he won. Uh, There's so many ways to do it, but 44 homers, 32 steals, and 1,100 OPS. It's just 1,900. The only other player who's had that season is Larry Walker, the year he won the MVP. Christian Yelich is doing it as the reigning MVP. Uh, If you just even take homers and stolen bases out of it and just look at 1,100 OPS for the reigning MVP, we've only had nine defending MVPs since World War II having 1,100 OPS. So that's out of 148 winners, if I'm doing the math right. And all of them have repeated except for three. Um, Albert Pujols when he lost to Ryan Howard, Jason Giambi when he lost to Ichiro, and Ted Williams when he lost to Joe DiMaggio. And I'm not sure that Christian Yelich was going to finish second in this race had the season continued. It was all set up him to win again just like he did last year with
3: the big September it really felt like Yelich was winding towards the big close to a huge season you just laid out and whether it was Yelich or Bellinger for NL MVP I guess we'll find out I don't think that this is going to take away from the candidacy the incredible numbers you just mentioned that that he built over the course of the season could this though open the door a little bit for a guy like Anthony Rendon or Freddie Freeman to make a case with a strong finish over the final two or three weeks, or maybe even just climb into that top two. I think that'd be quite an accomplishment for somebody.
1: Well, yeah. I, you know, I mean, people are going to just look at the wins above replacement leaderboard. It really depends on which one you look at. Uh, Bellinger has a has a one-win lead on baseball reference, but in fan graphs, it's essentially a dead heat between mm-hmm. Yelich, who's actually first, Bellinger, and Rendon. And you, you do have some guys right behind Um, so it, it's really, I I think this is still in play. Like I, you know, I'm an MVP voter in the national league and, you know, I don't think that we should vote by just looking at the wins above replacement leaderboard. I, I try to factor everything in and we're not supposed to factor in narrative, but how could you not last year? Like, do you know last year, in the last week of this season, Christian Yelich accumulated more wins above replacement than Bryce Harper put up for the entire season? That's incredible. Right? That's incredible. So, so stuff happens. Stuff is going to happen. And I, I'd never vote till the season's over. There, there's still a lot of ways this could go.
3: Yeah, I look forward to seeing what ways it goes. I know that a lot of folks look at it. The wins above replacement jumps off the page to people because it's a way to quickly quantify exactly what kind of season the guys had. Then you have kind of Absolutely. your traditional counting stats and numbers that you accumulate, like runs batted in, which depend on what kind of lineup you're in and what people around you are doing. But And then I guess the other wild card is for a lot of people, did your team win? Did you make your team from a club that wouldn't have won without you? To one that, well, if you hadn't been there, maybe they would have been pretty good. Otherwise, I think there's a lot of different, uh, fascinating ways that people look at it from the new school to the old school, and maybe a mix of the two, like you were talking about, trying to factor it all in to decide who exactly deserves to win this award.
1: Yeah, and I've voted on this award many times, and uh, you know, I've seen the I've seen the way voters evolve. I'm one of them. We have so much great information now that we can use to help us make these decisions. Why not use it? That's the way I look at it. Um, The, you know, the, just the definition of value, it was what makes it such an interesting debate. It's not the best player award. It's the Mm -hmm. most valuable player. It's it's not just performance. And, um, you know, I think winning matters. I think playing meaningful games matters, but, We don't look at it the way we used to. When you look at MVP voting 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the thinking was so different. Your team almost had to win. Now we look at the greatness of a Mike Trout and the greatness, the all-around greatness of his season, and we were much more prone to say, It's not his fault that his team stinks, right? It's the opposite of that. And that's how we define value now. But as I said, Grant, I try to look at everything. And this is always a fun debate, and it will be this year, too.
3: Absolutely, it will be. Uh, One of the things I think we're all looking at a lot, and we spent most of the summer wondering about, I think, is what's going on with these new and improved baseballs. Because home runs continue to rise annually. And some folks, like Justin Verlander, have been pretty vocal about his concerns as far as maybe the quality control of the baseballs. Do you think Major League Baseball is getting what it wants to out of this offensive explosion, or does there need to be maybe some kind of correction going forward?
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, this is a great topic. Like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Mm -hmm. I really don't think... That Rob Manfred woke up one morning and said, I need to take a secret trip to Costa Rica and see how we can (laughs) juice the baseballs. Right. (laughs) Like, I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. Yeah. But something happened. We've never seen anything like this. When the all-time single-season home run record gets broken before September by the Twins. It's telling you all you need to know. Uh, like I keep joking, every single home run record is going to be broken. That's not quite true, but half the teams in the sport are going to break their single season franchise home run record. We've already had more guys in double figure homers than in any season in history. The season is not over yet. Um, so people inside baseball know that the ball is different. They don't even try to debate that. Here's the issue. What do they do about it? Um, There's a lot of people about this. And, you know, the balls are made by hand, but they're also being made better than they've ever been made before. And right. I think that's a big explanation for how we got here. But nobody's too sure what to do about it. There's a big study going on right now inside the sport. And one of the things you're considering is not necessarily a humidor in every park, but to to have baseballs stored in the same climate-controlled conditions in every city, in every ballpark, and you know they like they think that'll have some effect. Uh, talking to some people who are have some expertise in physics, they laugh at the idea that that's going to do it. And talking to people in front offices. Like, they don't really care what the baseball is. They just want to know, right? <laughs> you know, if it's going to be the same as this year, right? It's just, it's just so hard to evaluate anything right now. You mentioned Justin Verlander; he basically never gives up a run unless the ball leaves the park. Yeah, but, you know, it's probably not going to happen for a long time. He was leading the league in most homers allowed, but fewest hits allowed. That's almost impossible. And so, you know, you'd understand why he would be outspoken about it. But the hardest thing is trying to evaluate, does my left fielder have power or does he just have power because of the baseball? And is he going to have power next year? If they change the baseball, maybe he won't. And so inside front offices, they just want to know. But I don't know if that's even possible. We'll see.
3: Yeah, teams are going to have to figure it out. I guess Major League Baseball is going to have to figure it out as well. One thing you brought up that's pretty interesting there among the many things that that topic can send us off onto as far as like wild tangents might be concerned. But all these home runs being hit, teams breaking their single season records, more home runs being hit than ever. But one of the most fascinating things I found about it that's not happening in the midst of all of this is nobody's making a run at the single season home run record. And I know that it takes a special player to do that. And the guy that owns it right now happened to hit seventy-three, so that's an awful lot of them. But I just thought it was kind of fascinating. We're not seeing a whole bunch of fifty-homer hitters like we did in the late '90s and early 2000s. We're just seeing a whole lot of people in double digits and hitting twenty and thirty and more.
1: Exactly. This, this is different than the PED era because this is across the sport. It's every team. It's it's every lineup. It's every pitching staff. It's it's got it swept up everyone it hasn't turned the guys who used to hit 40 and the guys who hit 70. Yeah. It's turned the guys who used to hit 10 into guys who now hit 20, 25, maybe 30 because the way the ball flies, um, you know, we, there, there are two mm-hmm. giveaways that it's the baseball. One is just go check this out sometime. Grant, look at the rate of fly balls. Mm-hmm. The fly ball rate has been, barely changed over the last five years. So it's not launch angle. You know what's changed? What's the that? percentage of home of fly balls that turn into home runs. It's now one out of every six and a half fly balls hit in the big leagues That's crazy. is a home run. That is amazing. So we have that. That's a dead giveaway. The other thing is what happened in triple A this year? The the Pacific Coast League, the International League went from the minor league ball to the major league ball what happened an explosion went up 59 percent in the pacific coast league and 57 percent in the international league uh that we didn't see this increase in the other leagues Like, do we do you really need any more information than that to know it's the baseball
3: no i think that's pretty much telling us what we need to know Uh, a guy we've been watching in atlanta who has had the ball flying off his bat at a high rate and hit 39 of these things over the wall thus far and is also closing in on another nice little milestone, be a round number of 40, and that, of course, is Ronald Acuna Jr. He's 21 years old. He's looking to become just the fifth 40-40 man in baseball history, and I don't know how often we'll see this because it feels like this deal has been de-emphasized a lot over the last 20 or 30 years, but uh, how much fun has it been to watch Acuna emerging as one of the top young stars in the game?
1: He's awesome. Uh, you know I just watched him in Philadelphia this past week, and – He's awesome. And so, you know, 40-40 is more than just a number. It's it's a number that tells us about the multitude of skills of this guy. Um, I honestly believe a day is coming when he's going to be in the top five players in the whole sport. I I asked Freddie Freeman about this, and Freddie thinks he's going to be the Mike Trout of the National League. What can he do? I mean, he's got 40 homer power. He's the fastest guy in the league. Um, He's an impact defender at every position. Um, I mean, despite the fact that he got pulled out of a game for watching a ball that was not a home run that he thought was, he plays hard. He plays with a smile on his face. There seriously is nothing he can't do. And he's 21 years old. Oh, my God. It's just just breathtaking to watch him
3: do his thing it truly is how difficult is forty forty? and like we're talking about a fifth guy in baseball history that's going to do it i know mickey mantle and guys like that willie mays and, and players hank aaron i would say probably some others that I'm, you know we could go down a list but mantle is the one that had that quote attributed to him if i'd known it was going to be a big deal this 40 40 thing <laughs> i'd have done it a couple of times i'm not going to doubt him because of he's mickey mantle but still it's a pretty small and very elite club for acuna to join
1: yeah, and, you know, the way that Mantle expressed that, I mean, it's a great line, right? But it, it also, it, it's kind of a window into that feat because for the most part, the guys who did it, you know, like they set out to do it. Right. Um, I mean, Canseco wanted to be in that club for the fame. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, you know, was very aware of the of the, the attention that would come with doing it. Alfonso Soriano, the year he did it, look, he had a great year, um, but he did it because that was his mission. right? Um, and, they, and Ronald Acuna, if he does it, I don't think he's doing it for the numbers. I think he's doing it because that's how good he is. <laughs> and he's doing it because that's what it takes to help his team win. And uh, that's what these—that's what these stats and these records are supposed to be all about. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> it's refreshing to see one that is.
3: It definitely is. Acuna is getting a lot of press, a lot of praise, and a lot of expectations heaped on him. You mentioned you are talking to Freddie Freeman this week, and Mike Trout's name is one that comes up, I think, a lot in the parallels with Acuna because of the age that he's doing these things, the five-tool skill set. And Trout even said at the All Star game that he loves watching Acuna play. It looks like Mike Trout is on his way to another, what, 10 win season in terms of war, as we talked about earlier. Quietly, if that's even possible, because somehow he manages to do this every year. Do you think we appreciate just how great, how once in a generation a player like Mike Trout truly is?
1: Um, not really. <laughs> yes and no. Yeah. Uh, he's probably not going to get to 10 wins this year. I mean, the. Uh... You know, and he just like he hasn't been able to get on the field now for a couple weeks, and so he's just gonna he's gonna run out of time to do that. It's it, it, this it's, this year probably isn't better than last year, but it's still awesome. And you know, I, I saw Chris Russo on MLB Network yelling at Richard Justice for saying that. You know, Mike Trout has a chance to be one of the 10 or 15 greatest players who ever lived and spitting out all the guys that he can't possibly pass. Well, yeah, he can. Yeah. I mean, the problem is, how? Do, like, how do guys get into that pantheon? They don't do it with their regular season numbers or their regular season moments. They, they do it on the October stage. He's never on that stage. It's just – it's incredible that he has never played in a postseason game that his team won, that he and Bryce Harper have never played in a series that their team won. Um, like that just doesn't happen in the other sports. Uh, and until Mike, until the Angels build a team around Mike Trout that uh, enable him to carry that team to a parade, I, there's always going to be something missing. I think in the eyes of the casual fan, but. We're watching one of the greatest players who ever lived. I don't know how many times we have to say that until the world will get it.
3: I thought it was amazing that MLB and its marketing of Trout, they've got that great commercial, I know, on MLB Network. I'm sure you see it quite a bit, the promo of Trout. All the time. He just wants to play. But I think it's one of the most genuine pieces of – um advertising if you will if you if you want to call it that just a promo that's made essentially to remind guys well this is who he is this is what he is this is how he does it and this is how he feels about it and i think maybe that's that next step that a guy like mike trout or the sport of baseball needs to embrace in order to put him on a big enough stage to where people can realize i mean he's not doing it for the fame it's kind of like you mentioned with acuna a couple of minutes ago he's doing all these things because it helps his team win and that's his number one goal which is pretty refreshing
1: yeah, like he's, he is totally authentic. He's a very genuine human being. And what you see is what he is. And I appreciate that. I would never complain about that or criticize that. But I do know there's an ongoing conversation within the sport. And it kind of seeped out a year ago when Rob Manfred talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, does the best player in a sport have a special responsibility to get outside his comfort zone and promote the sport in a way that Mike Trout doesn't. Um, I don't think you should force anybody to do anything, but it is an interesting conversation because, I mean, whatever you think about LeBron, LeBron understands who he is and what he is and what comes with it. Um, Steph Curry understands that. Uh, Peyton Manning understood that. People, in, you know, the best players in baseball don't often take on that part of the gig. And I, I don't know what it's a problem for the sport. I really don't. I do know I wrote a piece a couple of years ago. I was still at ESPN about the, the the fact that we, we there was a survey taken, you know, asking people to name their favorite professional athlete mm. and... The only three baseball players who showed up in the top 50 were Babe Ruth, who's dead, Eric Jeter, who's retired, and Pete Rose, who's suspended from life. Wow. That to me is a problem. (laughs) You know? And so, how you find a face of baseball who will accept what the best players in the other sports, what the faces of the other sport accept. I think we need to get to that point. And I'm not singling out Mike Trout. I'm singling out the culture within the sport.
3: Well, it'll be interesting to see how baseball evolves over the uh, next, what, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, they've done a lot media-wise. They've done a lot of things right. But this is just something I think fans are certainly taking an interest in. And I think we all should because Mike Trout and some of these other players Are extremely special and it's fun to watch them play on an everyday basis jason i know you're a busy man i really appreciate all of your time and i look forward to chatting with you again very soon about uh, all the range of baseball topics i always enjoy reading your stuff at the athletic and uh, look forward to catching you on mlb network as well
1: and i enjoyed it man thanks for having me
3: he is jason stark make sure you read his work on the athletic always the useless information department has been one of my favorite things since jason was doing it way back at espn he's doing that and so much more at the athletic he's on mlb network host of baseball stories on watchstadium.com and his starkville podcast is out apple podcast spotify and the athletic that's where you can find jason stark you can also find him on twitter of course at jason st that is j-a-y-s-o-n-s-t that's where you can find jason stark on twitter again appreciate his time and appreciate your time as always tuning in to from the diamond let's take a look at what's coming up next for the braves and wrap things up on this episode atlanta rolls into washington for a three-game series their final regular season meeting with the nationals only way these two teams will meet again would come october if the Nats can win the wild card and the wild card game to get a run through october atlanta will then return to suntrust park after this road trip an off day then a six game homestand against the phillies and the giants and we'll see what the braves magic number is come that series against philadelphia or san francisco because the braves could very well be clinching their in crown in fact i would expect them to at some point on this homestand as they look to polish off the nationals this weekend put a serious dent in that magic number and then take care of business against philadelphia and san francisco once they come home That, of course, is the final homestand of the regular season. The Braves will then close out the year with two games in Kansas City and three games on the road against the New York Mets. Once that is said and done, we can turn our full focus toward the postseason. We'll know who the Braves are going to be playing and what exactly to expect come October as we preview all of that and get set for the games that we've been waiting all year for. And the Atlanta Braves are in a great position to punch their ticket this coming week as they come back home to SunTrust Park and secure their place in the playoffs by clinching the national league east make sure you subscribe to the podcast you can find from the diamond on apple podcast google play spotify soundcloud and stitcher ratings and reviews always appreciated be sure to follow along on social media you can find me on twitter at grant mccauley g-r-a-n-t-m-c-a-u-l-e-y you can find the show at from the diamond underscore i am on instagram as well also at grant mccauley the show is on instagram at from the diamond no underscore on that Appreciate all the likes and follows and invite you to connect over there on social media. You can also find every episode of the show and everything else over at FromTheDiamond.com. That'll do it for this episode. It's going to be an exciting weekend for the Braves and an exciting week as they return home looking to clinch the National League East. I'll look forward to talking with you very soon about all of that on the next episode of From the Diamond. Until then, I'm Grant McCauley. So long, everyone.